Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sip of Wellness, the podcast that takes a refreshing dive into the world of healthcare and wellness. Join us as we explore a diverse range of topics, sip by sip, unraveling the complexities and intricacies that shape our physical, mental, and emotional well-being. From expert interviews and insightful discussions to evidence-based insights, we're here to serve you a soothing blend of knowledge, helping you navigate the vast landscape of health and wellness. So grab your favorite beverage, take a seat, and get ready to sip in the wisdom that will empower you on your journey to a balanced and vibrant life. In today's episode, we are honored to be joined by a distinguished fetal medicine consultant, none other than Dr. Samina Dornan. With a wealth of expertise and experience in her field, Dr. Dornan brings a unique perspective to our conversation about healthcare and wellness. Stay tuned as we delve into insightful discussions and gain valuable insights from her extensive knowledge in the realm of pregnancy and fetal medicine. It's a pleasure to have you with us, Dr. Samina. Thank you very much. It's so nice to be here. Thank you. So can you tell our viewers who are seeing you for the first time a bit about yourself and how you came to be the first ever leading fetal medicine consultant in Dubai? Oh, well, it's such a long story and probably quite boring. But you know what? Um, Here I am. I am a mixed blood from various countries and continents. And my heart is very Irish. That's where I grew up and I had most of my education and training and United Kingdom, of course. And I came to Dubai in 2019. We opened King's College, one of the hospital here. And now I work in Azara Hospital uh, in Dubai. And um, the aim and the mission is has always been the same, whether I was in Belfast, Northern Ireland or London, United Kingdom or here in Dubai in Alzara Hospital to empower women mm-hmm. and to show the passion that I have for empowerment of the women and my profession. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. What advice can you give to couples who are trying to ensure a healthy pregnancy for the first time, so the two first-time mommies? Well, to be honest, most of the pregnancy, you will be amazed to hear that they are unplanned. Okay. <laughs> so that probably is the best way because there is never the right time to have yeah. a baby, right? There's always you are too much busy. But if you are embarking on pregnancy, so health is important. Your lifestyle is very important. And that's for both of you. Sometimes people think, oh, men doesn't count. Of course you do. You are contributing half into the pregnancy, right? Your genetic material. So it is important that, you know, your living habits, smoking, drinking, or other, you know, and you are in good health, you are not overweight, you are exercising. And one of the most important things that you should take a supplement is called folic acid. Mm-hmm. Folic acid needs to be started three months before you embark on your oh. pregnancy. Folic acid is important for the fetal brain and spine development. Mm-hmm. So all these things are important. Amazing. Thank you for an excellent advice. Usually the focus is always on women when they're preparing for pregnancies and rarely anyone like goes to men to ask them about these things or to advise them on how to prepare for pregnancy. That is so true. And as much as we advise women that they should stop smoking and drinking, Mm -hmm. the same advice goes for the men as well. So it is important. 
How would this journey, like preparing for pregnancy, how would it differ between someone who's having a baby for the first time versus someone who's already on baby number two or baby number three? Does it really differ much? It does in, in many aspects. Uh, it, it, it differs physically, uh, okay. psychologically. And uh, it also differs. It depends. You know, first time mother is a is a journey of unknown, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know where you are going, and you don't know where you will end up. And mm-hmm. to be honest, as an obstetrician and as a high risk obstetrician as well, I always tell women, it is very difficult to put women in the box to say, oh, you are high risk and you are low risk. Mm-hmm. You are only known to be high risk or low risk when you have had your baby and your baby has gone to a a primary school and Mm -hmm. and are achieving their milestone. And then you look back on your pregnancy and you say, ah, yes, that was a low risk pregnancy. So the journey of unknown with a woman and Mm -hmm. with a partner as well. And the fear element comes in the first time and women are a lot more careful and as I said most of the pregnancies are unplanned and so then they are very worried oh I was smoking or I was drinking and you know I got pregnant and what do I do now you know in the second or subsequent pregnancies the fear of unknown is not there but then there is a different kind of a fear we call it the third pregnancy syndrome and that is that the first pregnancy you don't know and you are just Mm. on this journey the second pregnancy, you know a little bit, and so you are a bit careful, but you know, you you think you know. On the third pregnancy, women get very scared because they said, I have been so lucky the first two times. Can I be so lucky the third time? Mm-hmm. So in different pregnancies, you have a different fears, you know, and, uh, and a different support you need. Mm. One of the factors actually that plays a huge role in this, because you said like the first and the second are a bit different from the third. Mm. One of the factors is also age. So like we hear a lot about this, a lot of concerns from society and from women who are expecting that age plays an important role. And as people age, their ability or their pregnancy journey differs. So what would you say to women like who are uh, concerned about the factor of age? into their pregnancy? Well, in most of the world, the women are still having children when they are quite young. But may I say that, you know, the kind of a clientele I deal with most of the time, these are professional women. And you know, as a professional woman, you know, you go through your educational system, your universities, and then you achieve your milestone, whatever you want to achieve in life. And by the time you come around to decide to have a baby, you are in your 30s. Right. Yes, exactly. If you go on the traditional knowledge of science and all this, you are considered by medical books as elderly primi gravida if you haven't had your first baby by the age of 28. Okay. Can so, you explain that term a bit? So <laughs> if you haven't had your first baby by the time you are 28 like, years old, you are already considered that you are elderly first time mother. Okay, so I'm way past that. Okay, <laughs> most of most of the women are way past that. So yes, of course, with time, the risk the risk increases more for women who are physically not taking care of themselves, who are smoking and other things, and they are unfit. 
to be honest, for fit mothers, the risk may be of the chromosomal abnormalities. Mm -hmm. And that's not just for the women, men as well. The chromosomal abnormalities are not just associated with women age, but also with men's age as well. So with growing age, your chances increases Mm -hmm. um, with time. So if at the age of 28, your risk of having a baby with a chromosomal abnormality is one in 900, Mm -hmm. by the age of 35, it goes to maybe a lot higher. So you are maybe one in 300, one in 400, but you still are you know, a low risk. So what is important is that you identify that, okay, you are high risk or you are slightly older in age. And so you seek for that kind of a care in pregnancy, mm-hmm. as we say, maternal fetal medicines of specialists. So you are given that unique care that you require. We hear, like from what you just said, we hear a lot about high-risk pregnancies and people usually, or expecting parents, usually have a lot of concern towards high-risk pregnancies, but we don't really understand like what factors go into thinking or into saying that this is a high-risk pregnancy. So can you like define it a bit from your expertise? So it depends. There are multiple factors which Mm -hmm. makes the pregnancy high-risk. So remember, as I said, that your first pregnancy is high-risk until unless you look back on your pregnancy, right? So first-time mother is a high-risk mother because we don't know how her body is going to behave with the pregnancy at all. We don't know anything about her genetics and how those genetics are going to influence the baby. And in some conditions, you have conditions which you are not aware of, like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus diseases or polycystic, you know, ovaries and those kind of things, or even cardiac conditions in some women. So it's an unknown entity for pregnancy, and that is a high risk. Then the rest of it comes to high risk, the mother factors or the fetal factors. The mother factors is, again, if she is uh, overweight, obese, she has a genetic disorders running in the family, or she has a diabetes, gestational mm-hmm. diabetes history in the past, or in the family diabetes, heart diseases, hypertension, or she has a major conditions like where she has had a renal transplants mm. or conditions which affects her kidneys and livers and pregnancy mm. is going to make that worse. Mm. She's a high risk patient. We would sometime have patients who have had a cancer and had been through chemotherapies. So these are very high risk patients. And then there is fetuses, mm. you know, fetus with genetic conditions. One of those is like fetal kidney Uh, diseases which are very common or other fetal condition, limbs, disorders, and or we we diagnose a structural Mm -hmm. abnormality and then we perform diagnostic tests and we find out that it is some kind of a syndrome. So how do you take care of all those things? You know, these are all high-risk pregnancies. Mm -hmm. I can spend a day talking about them. Thank you so much for sharing this from oh, your experience. By the way, yes, sorry for please. interrupting. No, no. One of the other commonest conditions, which is becoming actually more common, and I would like to speak about it, is multiple births. Okay. Twins or mm-hmm. triplets. They are becoming commoner now. Number one, more couples are seeking IVF. Okay. So it's common That's to have okay. twins with IVF. And more mothers are older mm. when they start having children and Twins are common in older, even spontaneous pregnancies, you Mm -hmm. know, when it just happens. 
So those are quite a risk factors and you really do need to be with the maternal fetal medicine subspecialist to take care of you or at least that person should be involved in your mm-hmm. combined care. Thank you, Dr. Dornan. These advices that you just shared will really be very invaluable for expecting parents. Thank you. Uh, but one of the questions that I have is, what would be a good time for parents to find out if there are any birth defects? Like, when can they find out along the pregnancy? That's a great question. You know, you. majority of the time, people think that the 20-week scan, the anomaly scan, mm-hmm. the big scan, they call it, is the time to find out. And that is not true at all for modern science. We, right from the beginning, can uh, look so very early pregnancy, five, six weeks of pregnancy. If we look some factors, for example, if, you know, there is absent of certain structures, we know that this pregnancy Mm -hmm. might end up in a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. We can also see at 12 week scan, which is we call the dating scan or the nuchal Mm -hmm. scan, we can rule out quite a lot of major abnormalities mm. of the hearts and of the spine and of the limbs and uh, abdominal wall, what we call it, the tummy wall. So even more than that. And uh, by 16 weeks, we can rule out 80% of abnormality. We call it the early anomaly scan. And then at 20, 21 weeks, we can rule out about 99% of the abnormalities. But remember, you can never rule out all the abnormalities just by every scan has a unique perspective on the fetus. Why and how? Because the fetus is a growing entity. The fetus doesn't just grow till 20 weeks and then after that it is just getting fatter. Yeah. No. It keeps the fetal growing. brain is still developing. The fetal heart is still developing. Yeah. The fetal kidneys are still developing. So sometimes we see abnormalities of these organs to become uh, eminent, visible, sorry, yeah. much later in pregnancy. And that is why each scan, you know, gives us a unique perspective. So at 24 weeks, we rule out almost all cardiac abnormalities. Mm -hmm. At 28 weeks, we can rule out the brain uh, migrational development abnormalities. And then, of course, in the last trimester, we see if there is a gestational diabetes element visible on the scan in in the form of an increased amniotic fluid Mm -hmm. or the baby being too, too big or too small. Um, and two small placental mm-hmm. um, function, you know, are looked at in the last trimester, especially from 32 weeks onwards. So you see not a single scan can rule out all the abnormalities. And hence, we scan patients so frequently. Okay. So aside from the dietary changes uh, that a pregnant woman or expecting parents should undergo, to ensure a healthy pregnancy. Mm. And aside from having their regular scans, mm. what other things can expecting parents do to ensure or to lower the risk of uh, birth defects? I think one of the most important thing for women to remember is that it's not necessarily all that they would do and will avoid birth defects. Mm. A lot of it is just a accident of nature. And a lot of the time when I'm counseling patients with fetal abnormalities, most of the time, if the woman doesn't ask 
It is on her mind. Is it something that she has done? She has eaten or she has point, not eaten? Yes. The guilt is there. But I would love to tell all the women in the world that there is very little that they do which contributing to the abnormalities, the genetic abnormalities. It's just the freak accidents of the nature mm-hmm. sometime and it's not in your hand. Um, but some genetic abnormalities or structural abnormalities, I should call it, is like spina bifidas mm-hmm. in which the spine doesn't develop well. Um, you can prevent it by taking folic acid, start three months before you get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Fetal growth problems or defects can be reduced if you don't smoke in pregnancy and don't drink too much, too much in pregnancy. And diabetes problem, you know, if you are not overweight and you are taking care Mm. of diet, so you don't develop gestational diabetes. I want your audience to remember something. What you put in your mouth does not only affect you, what you eat, Mm. but it affects your fetus but not just affect your fetus, but it affects the offspring of that fetus. Oh. So this was called a Barker hypothesis. It was an epidemiologist in 70s who found out that all the diseases that we suffer in adulthood, cardiac, hypertension, diabetes, they can be linked to the fetal origin. Okay. So what the mother is eating the baby is uh, habituating to that food. So if the mother is eating a high-carbohydrate diet, the baby is expecting to have a high-carbohydrate. You know, it it develops that habit in utero. Mm. And so if they don't get that high-carbohydrate diet, they go into different kind of a problems. And if they do, they go into different kind of a problem. So you must have seen and observed Obese people will have obese children. Definitely, yes. Yeah? Yeah. So very important, your diet. Look at it from the science point of view. Read about Barker hypothesis and you will learn a lot. Yes. Okay. He was an epidemiologist from London Mm. and he was ridiculed for his thoughts. And now all over the world, scientists and doctors understands what it is all about. You mentioned a couple of times now about, you've talked about gestational diabetes. So my question would be for viewers or for people who are listening now, how does gestational diabetes actually differ from normal diabetes? In normal diabetes, your body doesn't make enough insulin. Mm. In gestational diabetes, your body is making insulin, but your placenta is making a hormone which is antagonist to your own insulin. And we call that placental resistance. So placenta produces various kinds of hormones Mm -hmm. and the level of those hormones at the pregnancy advances become more and more because the placenta grows bigger in size and produces more. And that is why gestational diabetes become more evident towards the later part of pregnancy. Mm. And that's why we test for gestational diabetes at 24 or 28 weeks. Okay. Also, we can test for it at 12 weeks of gestation if you have had one gestational diabetes in your previous pregnancy mm. and it was poorly controlled. Okay. So that is the difference. 
though to an extent you can control your gestational diabetes by making sure that you are not obese when you go into pregnancy, your diet is good and you exercise regularly, mm. but it's not totally in your control. So quality of life yeah. on one hand, and on the other hand, you know, you can be very skinny individual and very healthy and you can develop. still develop a gestational diabetes. Okay. As I said, that it is actually the placenta, mm. you know, the afterbirth, what we call it, or mushima in yeah. Arabic, right? Exactly. It produces hormones which resist your insulin. Mm. So sometimes you can't do anything about it, Okay, you know. And you just have to uh, deal with it. And our mm -hmm. multidisciplinary team, the endocrinologist will help you. The dietitian mm -hmm. will help you. And we will help you by monitoring the baby and tell you what is the right time to deliver you. Amazing. Thank you for sharing these insights for parents. So a lot of parents, when they find out that they're pregnant, the first thing that goes into their mind is complete frenzy because they freak out entirely and they start calling their gynecologist day in and day out. What would you say to these parents? What would you advise them about the first step when they find out that they're pregnant, like what they should do, how they should go about it without being in complete freak out mode? <laughs> well, they need to remember that they are pregnant, they're not sick. Yeah. <laughs> so no need to, you know, reaching for doctors too early. Yeah. Sometime I would see patients in my clinic when they are only four weeks pregnant. They have just missed period yesterday. Okay. <laughs> so that, that you just remember your mother's time, your grandmother's time. There wasn't any WhatsApp. There wasn't any internet. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any doctor just at the you know, uh, length of the telephone call. Just relax. It's a normal phenomenon. Mm. Billions of people have been through and billions are going through. So it's a, it's a, it's a happy moment. Yeah, share it, yes. the happy news. And ideally wait if you don't have any risk factors. As I said, first thing you should do is if you are not on folic acid, please go to pharmacy and buy folic mm -hmm. acid and start taking them. It's the cornerstone of uh, supplements for pregnancy. Exactly. Yeah. It is, you know, you need nothing else but that. And then, you know, if there is no risk factors in your own self and health and you don't have any aches and pains which are unusual, then, you know, see your doctor somewhere around five, six weeks Okay. of uh, pregnancy. One thing is important to rule out ectopic pregnancies, mm -hmm. but that usually would have other sign and symptoms. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, 99.9%, just relax. It's a lovely moment. Enjoy it, yes. celebrate it. But keep it to yourself till you see somebody and okay. make sure that everything, everything is okay. Everything is okay, yes. Yeah. Perfect. Aside from folic acid, what would you say, like, the supplements that you would recommend for pregnant women are among the top or the most advised supplements? Do you know, um, supplements have become a very, you know, common thing mm. in, in our lifetime. And uh, I sometimes feel that it is also a gimmick of the okay. industry. You know, it is flourishing on people's insecurity. Yeah. You, we are all those who are aware of health. We are eating healthy. Yes. Healthy and that diet. is what you should do. Mm. Eat in proportion, eat healthy. Multivitamins are for those who don't have a healthy diet, mm. you know, uh, for some reason, or they have other 
um, issues. And um, but if you do need them, they are available over the counters, okay. and your doctors will have some favorite. Go mm -hmm. to them, and they will advise you. Ideally, you don't need multivitamins till you reach your twelve weeks. Okay. The twelve weeks journey is the most important thing in your pregnancy. I want everyone to remember that. People think the most important time in pregnancy is the end of the pregnancy. Mm. No, by that time the baby is cooked and yeah, ready. It's fairly developed. The most important time is your first 12 weeks mm. and especially the first 10 weeks. This okay. is organogenesis time mm. in which the fetus is developing the basic organs mm. where it is very vulnerable to everything and anything. And that's why don't put anything in your mouth that you don't know it is properly scientifically tested or you know, unhealthy. Mm. So wait till you are 12 weeks and then you can do whatever you want to. Mm. So just take folic acid. You will lose weight in your first 12 weeks. You will have a lot of nausea and vomiting. You will feel very tired. You will feel very sleepy. Very These are all sleepy, normal. Yeah. And just make sure you are well hydrated. Mm. Drink. Yeah. And, and, you know, and you will have a weird diet. You would want to have more carbohydrate. Mm. Yes. That is fine. The first and weird weeks. cravings. And uh, weird cravings. Yeah. Go with it. And if the nature wants you to rest and sleep, and go with it. Mm. This is very normal. Don't try to over-exercise yeah. because you feel very tired. Mm. After that, yes, your energy will come back by the time you crosses your 12 or 14 mm. weeks. I know a lot of uh, pregnant women around me who spend the first trimester mainly in sudden naps you know like yes. sudden lack of energy yes. sleep and then waking up but yeah, yeah as you said it comes back after 14 weeks you are so right yes yeah. well among um we hear a lot about uh avoiding certain foods during pregnancy like one of the things that all of us know is sushi basically yes <laughs> other than which is unfortunate but other than sushi like what what main food groups should be avoided during pregnancy None, including None. sushi Including sushi. Nothing should be avoided yes. at all. Do you think Japanese stop taking sushi when they are pregnant? <laughs> That's a great perspective. I yes, so that is their national diet. Okay. Why we usually talk about sushi or fish or uncooked things, that food poisoning is commonest with these things. And mm. um, the more uncooked the food is, and especially fish. Mm. And when we are in hot environment, you know, and we order takeaways and things, there is very common to have a food poisoning. Okay. But that also applies to curries as well, you know. Okay. So my advice to you is eat clean. And that's why try to cook at home mm -hmm. or, or go to reputable places which are clean. Try to avoid takeaways. Okay. That That is where the cheapest and the most unhealthy food mm. and where the food poisoning, you know, is go to yeah. nice restaurants that you know they are clean, they are mm -hmm. cooking in front of you and eat fresh food or cook at home and eat. Dr. Dornan, thank you so much for your advice. Based on like sushi, I said specifically sushi because I see a lot of those pictures now on Instagram where the first thing a mother does after she delivers is has sushi at the hospital and her labor ward. <laughs> But that's great advice. So basically, it's always to manage your lifestyle as well as your healthy and balanced diet. Absolutely. 
Uh, Dr. Dorner, from your experience as a, a fetal consultant, which foods can actually impact the way a fetus is developing and the overall well-being of that fetus? I think, you know, it is, remember, drugs-wise, folic acid is very important. Yes. But food-wise, to be honest, a balanced diet, mm -hmm. you know, try to reduce your carbohydrate uh, sugar, you okay. know, and sugar is one of the worst thing that anyway people can mm -hmm. have, but especially in pregnancy, again, gestational diabetes, you know, yeah. come to mind. But it doesn't mean that you should totally avoid carbohydrate. Yeah. Best time to eat carbohydrate is during the day so you can you utilize it. Yeah. You are active during the day. At night, number one, eat early mm -hmm. and try to eat protein base. Try okay. to eat more salad, vegetables and things like these rather than carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. And uh, quantity is important. You know, in pregnancy, the concept of this three meals goes out of the window. Yeah, yeah breakfast and lunch and then big dinner. Mm -hmm. No, try to eat small amount and frequently every two hours and you are good. Mm -hmm. And in the evening, eat early before you go to bed. Remember the stomach emptying time in pregnancy becomes very, very slow. Mm. So if you eat late, especially your dinner, mm. it will, they often patient will say, oh, it's just sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and then you will be very uncomfortable and you can't sleep. That's so true. reduce your carbohydrate. And the other thing which I must say is, please don't think that drinking juices and smoothies is healthy. Okay. It's not. It's full of sugar. Mm, so true. eat fruit, don't squeeze fruit, as I say mm. to my patients, and don't drink smoothies. It's full of sugar. Okay. Water. Water, yeah. yeah. <laughs> smoothies are good. They are very tasty. Yeah, they are very tasty. <laughs> Maybe once a week. Okay. <laughs> Better. So for, for exercise, because a lot of people, a lot of women or societies as a whole, mm -hmm. they frown upon pregnant women exercising and they're like, don't lift weights, don't go on a walk, don't uh, do yoga. All of these things might impact the pregnancy or the baby. What yeah. would you tell these women or what would you tell a pregnant uh, expecting parents about? Well, I would ask them to please, if they have their grandparents speak to them or their mothers, you know, did they have the choice of just lying on bed and mm. not lifting anything or doing anything? You know, the healthiest pregnancy is the most active pregnancy. If you are active, you are walking, you are doing, do your job. But you remember what I just said, you are pregnant, you are not sick. So absolutely. And the worst thing anyone can advise you to be on bed. Mm. In pregnancy, you are at a very high risk of developing clots, mm. which can be fatal. So please be active. Always be active. Never have this advice that, you mm. know, you must have a bed rest, especially in beginning of the pregnancy, a bit of a bleeding or spotting mm. is quite common. And then patients are advised that they should have a complete bed rest. Not at all. Mm. Nothing to do with a bed rest. If you are going to miscarry, God forbid, you will. Even if, you know, you are on bed 24-7, Bed rest is not advised in pregnancy mm -hmm. in any condition, okay. any any stage of pregnancy. So be active, carry on. I'm not asking you to do bungee jumping, 
if you haven't done it before. Of course. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, uh, but uh, carry on with normal life. Mm. Whatever is your body used to, whether that's yoga or going to the gym or swimming or walking or running, mm. continue with the same. As because you said, your body is used to it. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not an illness. Dr. Dornan, your commitment to normalizing and personalizing the pregnancy experience is truly inspiring for everyone, like for people around here. Could you share an example of high-risk pregnancy that you were involved in and explain to us a bit about the approach you took for that case? I can't uh, specifically can talk about cases because naturally patient confidentiality. Of course. But the commonest cases that I have come across and I do them is what we call it twin-to-twin transfusion syndromes. Okay. So in identical twins, in where twins share one mm. placenta or mashima or afterbirth, whatever we call it, these patients, uh, uh, these babies develop what we call a twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome or selective fetal growth restriction. One fetus have a bigger part of the mashima and one has a smaller part mm. or one fetus starts giving blood to the other fetus. So one is become overweight and one becomes Mm -hmm. underweight. And these are the pregnancies that now we can save in, uh, you know, 50 to 60 percent of cases, uh, um, both twins and in 70, 80 percent of cases, at least one twins by performing what we call it uh, laser ablation. What is laser ablation is that we go as a keyhole procedure into the mother's womb and we divide the machima by lasering the machima abnormal connection into two machimas. And so one can't overeat and one can't uh, undereat. And uh, I had a lovely, lovely couple from uh, Britain Mm -hmm. um, who I had to then deliver, I think, at 34, 35 weeks of pregnancy and their picture of the two twin girls is okay. on my screen because that is just one of the most beautiful case which mm. we could have lost both the babies if I wasn't involved in mm. their case. And then, of course, you know, um, if, you know, having a proper specialized care of laser mm. ablation, we managed to save both of them. So there are many, many such examples mm. in fetal medicine that uh, we can help these uh, couples. Some of them are not available here in uh, UAE, mm-hmm. and we do have to send them abroad. Okay. But now UAE and especially Dubai, we are getting where we can provide them any kind of a care, which is a wonderful thing. That's truly heartwarming. As we wrap up, uh, what message would you like to leave with our listeners, especially those facing some challenges with high-risk pregnancies? I think I would like to, and what I love in my career and what I have always tried to do, not necessarily I have always been successful in it. Of course, there has been challenges and maybe, you know, um, um, but I would say to patients, empower yourselves, educate yourself. Mm. Now knowledge is at the touch of your fingertips, fingertips you know, yeah. and when when the doctors recommend you to do something, ask them why, what is the advantage, what is the evidence. Don't just take advice just mm-hmm. blindly. Don't be afraid that if you ask a question, the doctor will be offended. Mm-hmm. If the doctor is offended, 
And that's not a true yeah, care, a you know, yeah. move on to mm -hmm. somebody else. And uh, um, whenever you are looking for information on the Google, don't just Google information. You know, whatever, for example, majority of the patients would Google exercise in pregnancy or diet in pregnancy mm -hmm. or tests in pregnancy or medicines in pregnancies. So what you do is at the end of whatever your question is, put patient information. Okay. If you add to your Google search patient information, patient information by law has to be produced by medical organization. Okay. It cannot be produced by just any Tom, Dick and Harry. Mm -hmm. And so you will have a proper authenticated web pages, mm -hmm. which will end on .org, .a, mm -hmm. .e and dot, uh, you know. A credible um, website. Exactly. Yeah. Proper educated website. So educate yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, Google, but Google properly mm -hmm. and ask your doctors, why is she or he advising what they have? Mm -hmm. And I think... If you empower yourself, you are halfway there. Definitely. Because as you said, like everything is at their fingertips. And even if they ask their doctors, they will know everything. Yes. Dr. Dornan, you are the first specialist in maternal fetal medicine from the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of London to come to Dubai. Female. First female. Female. <laughs> Could you tell us about your experience in this field and your approach to patient care in general? Lovely question, I must say. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, before coming to UAE, I had only worked in the United Kingdom and Ireland, uh, my home country. And uh, you see, in United Kingdom under National Health Service, you are assigned a hospital mm -hmm. and a doctor or a midwife, actually. You don't even get to see a doctor most of the time mm -hmm. until unless you become really complicated. And so you just have to stick with them whether you like them or you don't like them. Mm -hmm. Over here, I see in UAE, the way the system, health system is, it is really has empowered the patients. Patients can choose the hospital. They can choose the doctor. And if they don't like it, they can move. Yes. You know, which is, which is remarkable. Mm -hmm. And, and that is very, very important in the whole journey. But at the same time, I would also like to warn the patient. Mm. There are some who does health tourism. Yes. They go from one to the yeah. other, to the other, to the other. And that's not a good idea as mm. well, because by the time you end up with the, with the fifth or the sixth mm -hmm. doctor, he doesn't know where the first doctor has done, yeah. because the system is not linked with one another. So one hospital is not linked to the other and not necessarily patient has all the reports with them. We sometimes ask them, have you been scanned before? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you have a report? The answer is no. So I don't know what they have seen before. Mm -hmm. So I just scanned the patient today and she has had few scans before and I saw fetal abnormality and I am not sure. Was it seen before? Mm -hmm. Was it there? And does she, how much she knows about it? She doesn't didn't have any idea. Mm. So please try to choose your doctor right from the beginning. Mm. Do your homework, do your research, and don't leave doctors just because she or he said something and mm. you didn't like it. If you didn't like it, tell them, yeah. question them. 
That's great advice. Yes, yeah. and say to them, if if we ask you that you need to be induced or delivered by this way or that way, you don't like that, mm. have a conversation. Don't just run away. Yeah. You know? Confront. <laughs> yes. Talk to them and say, you don't like it, mm. and why are you doing this, and mm. why can't we do this? Simple mm. conversation will take you far. Mm. So, when would you advise women to act or parents to actually seek out a second opinion when they're hesitant? Ask the doctor even to say, okay. I would like to have a second opinion. Okay. Would you please organize that for me? Okay. This way, you don't break the bond mm. and you have a bond of confidence. But yeah. just running away somewhere and then the second doctor maybe say the same thing to you or even worse or you for the wrong reason leave your doctor who has mm. been with you and you'd never give them a chance to actually explain yeah. to you because they didn't realize you didn't like their answer or you didn't understand yeah. what why they were doing what they were doing mm. my advice and i strongly advise everyone question your doctors don't run away mm. question them because during the pregnancy, the doctor isn't just a doctor anymore. He becomes part of that journey. He becomes a confidant. So, yeah, he exactly. He or she becomes part of your family. Mm -hmm. This is the most intimate thing, isn't mm -hmm. it? To be to be delivered by somebody or, or, or for your child, your baby mm -hmm. to be taken care by somebody. Yeah. So treat that relationship with utmost respect and care. That's truly amazing. Finally, what advice would you actually give couples or uh, ex or parents who are about to embark on a pregnancy journey, planned pregnancy journey? What advice would you give them? Well, I would say, you know, you have chosen the right time, whatever mm -hmm. time it is, you know. Okay. There will never be a time that all the ducks are in the row, as we say. Mm. Yeah, there will always be, you know, you don't have enough money or your house is not big enough. Or there will never be that exactly right time. No, it yeah. will never be. And so if you want to have children, the sooner you start, the better mm. it is. Because then you are young to have them. Mm. And when they grow young, you are still young mm. to enjoy life with them. Yeah. Right? And, you mm. know, it is fun to see your children grown up in front of you and have your grandchildren and yeah. have them married, even your grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> so um, start early and uh, get into to it, be healthy. Mm. And you know, you don't need many doctors to be honest if you do um, your own research and mm. make sure you are healthy and healthy lifestyle when you embark on pregnancy. And folic acid, don't forget. Folic acid. <laughs> Definitely folic acid. Dr. Dornan, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and experience with us today. Uh, your dedication to maternal and fetal medicine is really inspiring for all of us. For everyone that would uh, like to book an appointment with Dr. Samina, you can find her in Al Zahra Hospital. This concludes our interview for the day with uh, Dr. Samina a leading expert in maternal and fetal medicine. Once again, Dr. Samina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me here. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, don't forget to put your thumbs up below and subscribe to our channel. And don't miss our weekly sip of wellness with the leading experts in the UAE.